Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Home and home. Let's play a little deal or no deal. NFL CBA style. Will we have one fewer preseason game, one additional regular season game, and an additional playoff team in each conference for a total of 14? Today is D-Day in the NFL. We'll talk about the new deal on the table and how players are reacting to it. And is Rob Manfred a liar? Or is Mike Fires a snitch? David Ortiz, big poppy of all people, turning on Mike Fires. I'm fired up about one of my favorite all-time players stepping in it. It is a Bloody Mary Friday, and I'm missing a Bloody Mary. I'm all out of sorts. It's a Friday home and home, a radio.com sports original. Dave Briggs back home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker still home in Pennsylvania. And I don't know what to do with myself, Ross. I'm back from the airplane in Colorado and I forgot my Bloody Mary. I don't know how to speak, quite frankly. I might need you to take it for the next two hours. Yeah, I'm scared. I said that right before the show started. I'm scared. You already are the Debbie Downer, pessimistic little bitch boy of the show, and now Ooh. you're not going to have your beloved Bloody Mary? I'm scared. I'm, I'm legitimately scared about what's going to happen over the course of the next two hours. You are so much happier when you have a Bloody Mary. I feel like you are, like if I were your wife, yeah. um, I feel like, Anytime you were grumpy, anytime you were, I am, I'm not happy, Dave, I would be like, here, honey, have one of these. And I'd slide over the Bloody Mary. It's almost like giving my one daughter Skittles and the other one chocolate. It's like, Aww. come here, honey, here, have some Skittles. <laughs> okay, I feel better now. <laughs> I feel better now. Okay. Mm -mm -mm. I'm not crying anymore. That's what you are like with Bloody Marys. If I were your wife, I would have an emergency Bloody Mary in my pocket or in my purse at all times. And every time you want to be pissed off about something, be like, here, honey, tilt your head back. Tilt your head back. Have some of this. Mm, good. Drink it in. Have the medicine. Drink it. Good, Davy. Good, Davy. Good. <laughs> You're right. I, I'm surprised after all these years, 
She hasn't figured it out. Just feed the man a Bloody Mary and you'll have a better husband. You bring up a great point about kids, man. And it's amazing, you know, having just flown yesterday, how you can change their mood with a little bit of sugar. It is remarkable. And parents, if you're ever wondering the secret of happy parents on an airplane flight traveling with their kids, it's not that complicated. It's an iPad and candy. Let it go. Let it go for three, four, five hours. Let Whatever it you gotta go. do, let it go. Let it go. Can't hold me back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn the lights and close the door. Aww. I don't think those are really the words, but nobody listening really cares. And yes, I have not had any Bloody Mary or IPA Friday. I'm just excited because. I'm going skiing this weekend. Can you tell I'm going skiing today? Ooh, spider. Got my little spider thing. Yeah. Boom. You're going skiing. I'm going to Peru, but we'll talk about that later in the program. Dude, can you, uh, okay, you're going, okay, hold on a second. You're going to Peru. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you going to check out, let me think of this, the Mayan ruins or the Incas? Mayans or Incas? I'm Team Inca, I think. Shit. All I know is it's Machu Picchu. I have not done any homework because it's one of I those. Have, by the way, I have no idea. I have no idea if yeah. the Mayans and the Incans are from Peru. I, don't I just know when you said Peru, that's the first thing that came into my head were Mayans and Incas. Mm. Like, I don't know, 10th grade history, like right, right there in my brain, maybe 10th grade history. And they might not even be from Peru. They might be from somewhere totally different, but when I think Peru, I think Mayans and Incas. It's going to be awesome if, in fact, you are right. Mayas or Incas. Uh, the Maya were native people of Mexico and Central America. The Incas flourished in ancient Peru. The Incas. Boom. Wow. Boom. Princeton. Princeton. Public school education right there. <laughs> Paid zero dollars and zero cents at Wyoming. Can you dig it? Boom. You know, James on Twitter, mid-conversation, had actually pointed out that it is the Incas. So someone's paying attention and listening live this morning. Thank you, James. Um, We will get to the NFL CBA deal or no deal shortly. But during my flight, as we sat down, a question for every married couple out there in America. And it is this. My wife and I, when we travel, we often take aisle and window, hoping that no one is going to sit in the middle of us, hoping that it's not a totally full flight. What then happens, like yesterday, when you get on said flight, and it is full, and the seat in the middle is a stranger? Well, it seems most of you move to the middle to sit together. And maybe this is sexist, but at least on my Twitter feed, most women agree to move to the middle to sit next to the husband and they give said stranger either the aisle or the window, presumably the window because you're going for the aisle, not us. Perhaps the honeymoon is over, Ross Tucker. Is it over? Should I be concerned that my wife did not consider moving to said middle seat? But then again, Neither did I. We made it a stranger sandwich for about five hours from Colorado to New York. All right. So here's, dude, this is amazing. I could do the whole show on this. All right. 
first of all, let's start from the beginning. Love the logic and strategy of one takes window, one takes aisle. If it's not a full flight, there's a decent chance, I don't know, some percentage chance that the middle seat is open and you both benefit greatly. So that's absolutely the right move. I'm proud of you. Absolutely. Worst case scenario, somebody comes and wants to sit in the middle. That's their seat. And then they will gladly take the aisle or the window. And you can still sit next to your spouse if you so desire. So that's absolutely the right move unequivocally. Let's start with that. You don't travel very much, but you know what you're doing. I'm proud of you. Good job. Now, once somebody does want to sit in the middle, I'm trying to think, and I'll talk to my wife about this on our drive to the Poconos, and, but I think typically my wife will in fact move to the middle seat to be next to me in the aisle as opposed to being in the window. I'm an aisle guy. She prefers window next to a stranger, but I don't think so. I, I think... Nowadays, I think my wife might just say, now I'm going to stick with the window and sleep up against the window. I have the aisle because of my shoulders and able to kind of have that width to the side. I think we might do the same thing, Dave. I don't know. I can't remember the last time. We're usually not in that situation. We have two girls. So almost always now, when we travel as a family, it is a three-seater, three-seater on both sides. It's my wife and the two girls, and I am in the aisle on the other side. That's what right. almost always happens. I haven't traveled on a flight, just my wife and I, in a while to remember what we do, but I, I don't think it's crazy that she might stay where she is and I might stay where I am, um, and I'm okay with that. The question is for me, did you guys talk to each other then or not at all? Not at all. There were not, there was not, I don't believe there was a single word exchanged for almost five hours. And my question is at what point of the marriage does that happen? Because obviously if you're married one years, two years, three years, I think even five, maybe even 10, I don't know at what point you don't move to the middle. Like there must be a, a breaking point at which the honeymoon is officially over. And like, I think I'd rather have my aisle than sit next to my spouse. I mean, that says an awful lot. But you know look, what? Though? I could have you know moved. what though? I yeah. honestly, yeah. Dave, I respect it. I respect really? your wife for it. I do. What's her name? Brandy. Brandy. I respect her because she's a woman that knows what she wants, and she's a woman that doesn't care what other people think. Doesn't think, oh, I should probably be next to my husband because that's the right thing to do. No, that's stupid. If you're not going to talk to each other anyway, if you're going to be on your device, you're going to be on her device or whatever, why sit next to each other just because it might be a little awkward or you, you think you should? If you guys just spent several days together and you spend a lot of time together, and you were just in the airport together, and you'll be in the car ride home together, and have plenty of time to talk, and you're not planning on talking on the plane anyway, 
What I like about Brandy Briggs is that she doesn't care about public perception or she doesn't give in to societal norms. She's realistic about it and she's so comfortable in her love for you and in your relationship that she doesn't need to slide over to prove that. That is a brilliant psychoanalysis of the decision there. Now, to be frank, I think it was me that was regretting it more so than her because I'm the one who kind of likes to, you know, nuzzle up a little bit, chat about nothing. When we sleep, if we snuggle, it's because I move over to her side. So a little uh, relationship dynamics here. She sleeps on the far edge of the bed. And the only way we snuggle is if I go over to her. She rarely, if ever, comes over to me. So that gives you a little bit of background. But you made me feel more comfortable about the status of our relationship. All right. And some so- fan- yeah, go. No, no, you finish, finish. I'm sorry. Well, I I was just stunned at some amazing research from one of the millennials here, Jordan Cohn, who says your choice of seat says a little bit about your personality. According to Business Insider, if you prefer the window seat, you keep to yourself and you're more irritable. I was in the window. So that makes a lot of sense. Aisle passengers tend to be more sociable, like you, and less likely to be caught sleeping on the plane. That makes an awful lot of sense. I'm the grumpy old man, sits on the window, puts a pillow up against the uh, the window there and tries to sleep and shut out the world. Yeah, so number one, I can't sleep on planes, period. So that doesn't, uh, that does, I'm not part of that. Number two, I'm, I'm not sociable on planes. We've discussed that. It's just if I'm in the middle or the window, because of my shoulder width, it's not a good scenario. Whereby in the aisle, I have the freedom of shoulder movement there. Now, I do have one question for you. Before we move on to football and the CBA, it's big news. I got a lot to say about that. But it seems like, for whatever reason, when we go on family vacations, a decent amount of time, we are flying on Southwest out of BWI, Baltimore. Uh, They have direct flights to more places, whatever. I don't know. So what happens is, is we know our configuration. I get on the plane. We all get on the plane together. My wife and daughters have one row. I'm on the other side. I get in the aisle. Yeah. Now, Southwest flights are always full. My wife thinks this is creepy. I want to know whether or not you think this is weird or smart. Mm-hmm. But when I sit down... In the aisle, I know Southwest flights 99% of the time are totally full. So what happens is people walk to the way back to see if they can get an aisle or a window, but then they realize it's at some point they realize it's not happening. I strategically look for a slender female to sit in the middle seat. And as they're walking down, a lot of times they end up being younger. Not always, but a lot of them they end up being younger. I will say, do you want to sit here? You can sit here. Because I don't want Uncle Joe sitting next to me at no. 282. Okay? I don't, first of all, 
if I'm going to be touching another human being at all, I'd rather it be female than male. And secondly, I want the smallest. I, I'm, I don't discriminate gender. If there's a little boy that wants to sit there, go for it. But that's typically not the case. They're going to be with their parent. So what I need is I need, and don't just post this social clip and cut it out. Because me saying, you know what I need? I need a small young girl. <laughs> that, is, that sounds really bad. That sounds really bad. So my wife always gives me flack and says, that's really weird. That's inappropriate. And every once in a while, the girl might look at me a little weird. Um, but it's worth it. It's so worth it to have someone next to you yeah. that doesn't touch you at all. And if you do happen to touch them, it's a small female. It's so worth it. They're usually happy that someone is friendly and like, cause nobody wants to be the person that sits in the middle seat, but they don't have a choice. So it's like, you can sit here. They're usually happy. Every once in a while, there's a hesitation. I will then like touch my wife's arm and be like, yeah, my family's over there, so this seat's open. Like, to immediately be like, nope, I'm not weird, big stranger, old guy, dude. I am family legitimate guy. Check the right. Family legitimate. I just think it'd be better if you sat here. Is that weird, inappropriate, genius? What do you think? Just to reiterate, in case you folks missed that, Ross Tucker is always on the prowl for a young Thin woman. That's the that's the takeaway here. Ross Tucker is always on the prowl for a thin young woman. Checks all three boxes. Okay, now that we've established that, it's obvious. It's brilliant. It's the only way to go. How many times I've sat there in my aisle seat because I have a high boarding number and just fear that that big chubby older dude is the one who's going to plop down in the aisle next to me and ruin my fucking day and at the same token when i see that girl get on the plane slightly attractive probably in a little better shape and yes tends to be younger i'm just hoping man it's like me when i have my lotto tickets the morning after the jackpot i'm like tell me she's sitting next to me tell me she's Ugh, she doesn't sit next to me but, I so, never but you don't win that lottery you don't, so you don't, you don't take the next, you don't take the initiative or the next step. Well, I don't fly Southwest. I fly primarily United and there's oh, no moving you. around. There's no switching seats. Yeah. So no, it is absolutely the way to go. Smart, smart decision by you. I think that is absolutely the intelligent way to go. Okay. Let's talk about some deal or no deal. Let's talk about some NFL, CBA, and how the league as we know it may change moving forward, although not next season, but the changes you know about. Three preseason games from four, 17 regular season games from 16, 14 playoff teams from 12, one extra team per conference, and most notably, one by per conference, which I believe sucks and all of us will come to regret five years from now. The revenue sharing is the big difference for the players. Increased revenue for the players. This tide raises all boats up from 47 to 48% or 48.5% if 
In fact, they moved to 17-game regular season. Teams would, again, only be able to tag, only be able to franchise tag one player, which is a huge deal. We'll talk about later in the program with our All-32 because today we're talking Dallas Cowboys. The conventional wisdom was they would tag two players, Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. So a huge deal in this CBA for the Dallas Cowboys, amongst others. So we'll talk to to Corey Majors, 105.3 in Dallas, about how that will impact them. But the big news was when J.J. Watt, arguably the most public of players in the league, I think you could argue one of the three faces of the NFL really, came out and tweeted hard no on that proposed CBA. Chris Harris of the Denver Broncos, prominent corner in the league, he retweeted that. Richard Sherman retweeted that with his approval as well. So again, we don't have any idea if the majority of players are on board. That's what they need as well as two-thirds of player reps. But some prominent Public faces of the league don't like this deal, Ross. What about you, a former player? Yeah, well, let me start with J.J. Watt in particular. He is absolutely entitled to his opinion. I'm really disappointed in how he handled this. First of all, to my knowledge, and maybe I'm wrong, but he's not a union rep. He's not part of the executive committee. He's not the Houston Texans player rep. So he has not been involved in the negotiations at all. So for him to just tweet hard no on proposed CBA is really, really disappointing and insulting to the guys that have put in months of work on this months of work on this even if he feels that way social media is not the right forum for him to voice that and number two how about some context jj what don't you like about it i'd love to interview you i'd love to hear what you don't like about it Let me say a couple things, Dave. Number one, J.J. Watt has made over $85 million. He's not really who the union represents. He is one of 20 guys, maybe, that are in that stratosphere. The union is trying to do what's best for 2,000 guys. And these are guys that have a unique skill and ability to play professional football, and they are trying to get the best financial head start they can in life and financial security for their family that they can before they're out of the league in three years or they get hurt after five or maybe they make it to seven. That's the vast majority of NFL players, 95%. He represents the less than 5%. And his opinion matters, but wow, I think it's very dangerous what he did, especially, by the way, 
when the deal is unequivocally better across the board on every single line item from the 2011 deal. I would love to know what it is that he's a hard no on when he just played nine years under a CBA that was much worse. It's extremely disappointing on a lot of different levels. Okay, what about this? What about the fact that I've heard about player safety for years and years and years and better benefits for former players for years and years and years? Where is that discussion now? Where are the players saying we need to do more to protect players because they were protective of the concept of a 17-game regular season until there was more money? And you can't for a second, Ross, tell me that, oh, well, we're playing less in the regular season and the minor cutback on contact drills, that won't compensate for the additional game they're playing each and every year. Where are the players standing up for player safety and former players increased benefits? Because I don't hear a freaking whisper about it, and maybe that's what J.J.'s talking about. Well, so first of all, the player pension amount is going to go up to $550 minimum for everyone before 2012 that played before 2012. That's a significant increase for every single retired guy, that it's going to go up to $550 at a minimum. Some of these guys, their pensions are like $150 a month. So that's $400 more a month. So that's that's number one for former players. Number two, in terms of player safety, it's a lot less contact in practice than they were having. 16 padded practices, that's fantastic. And I would argue that eliminating a couple padded practices, in my mind, is better than adding one game which is 60 snaps, 60 plays. And by the way, you know, the New England Patriots have played at least 17 games for all but one of the last 20 years. Most of the time they're playing 18, 19. There's no evidence that their careers have been shortened. There's no evidence that they've had more wear and tear. Look at Devin McCourty or Matt Slater or... Tom Brady or whoever you want to look at, there's no evidence that adding one game is that much of a detriment. And here's the thing that's funny, okay? The NFLPA, it has gotten increases across the board. And if you want me to, I can go line item by line item in those increases. And you know what, Dave? You know the only thing that they're giving up The only thing they're giving up is four more teams playing one playoff game, one extra playoff game. 12.5% of the teams play one more playoff game. And by the way, they get a shitload of money for that. And then everybody plays one more regular season game. Guess what? The primary benefit of that will be the increased television revenue. The players get 55% of the television revenue. The owners get 45%. The players benefit more from the added game 
and added two playoff games than the owners do. There are so many people on Twitter and across the airwaves that really need to sit this one out because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know how, Dave, I don't talk politics on this show or publicly because I'm admittedly ill-informed and I would not be comfortable because I don't know enough about it to speak to it in a public forum. You agree to that, right? Like, if anything, I just ask you questions. Agreed, right? Yeah, and I don't have an answer as to what the hell is happening because Bernie Sanders looks like the Democratic nominee. Fucking Bernie Sanders against Donald Trump. But proceed. Thank you. Um, and I do want to <laughs> ask you about that at some point. Maybe we'll do that off the air uh, since the millennials didn't like our news segment. That evidently wasn't a big hit. But at any rate, um, my point is there are a lot of people that have no idea what they're talking about that are speaking on social media or other platforms about this deal that really should sit this one out because they're totally clueless and they don't know what they're talking about. And this is very fucking serious okay we are talking about guys wait a minute, that are I, wait a minute. are you saying jj watt doesn't know what he's talking about i just want to be clear i don't think jj watt knows what he's talking about no no i i, I don't think he i don't think he's very well he's clearly not very well informed like someone needs like wow. i don't think jj knows everything i just said i mean you start, J.J., a negotiation with where the deal already was, okay? The NFLPA did better in every single category. They got the owners to give in, and all they're doing is playing one more game and two more playoff games, four teams, and they benefit more from that than the owners do. But, Dave, let me just say something, okay? The guys that are playing, most of them do not have a plethora of other marketable skills for the rest of their life. They're not JJ. Most Watt. of them are going to make minimum for however many years they can stick around before they bruise their spinal cord like I did, or they blow out their knee, or teams just decide we're done with them. The NFLPA's job is to try to allow those guys to get the best financial head start they can and as much financial security, salary, benefits, insurance as they can from that two years, five years, maybe they're unbelievably fortunate eight or nine years as they can before they then go on to the next phase of their life. That's their job. They're doing a darn good job of it. All of those guys would say, hell yeah, I'll play another game for that money. The only guys that I've seen that are being critical of it have made like over $50 million and are either ill-informed or 
their default is to be combative no matter what. So I'm not going to say Sherman is ill-informed. I'll just say that his default is to be combative. And it's easy to say that when you've made all the money that he has. And maybe Richard Sherman and Russell Okung are willing to sit out games or a whole season to try to get what they want. Guess what? How about all the guys who won't even be in the league the next year if you do that? Why don't you talk to their freaking wives or their kids if you want to sit out an entire year? And so those guys, with the minimum going up 100000 those guys are going to miss out on $850,000. So you can prove a point that you're not even going to prove. It, it, it gets me so angry, I can't even talk about it. And this isn't just me. I had a call right before the show started from a guy that was intimately involved in the last CBA and knows exactly what the deal is and how hard it is. This isn't baseball where the guys have long careers and guaranteed contracts for years or even the NBA. These guys don't have guaranteed contracts. They don't play very long and they don't have the will to sit out an entire season. And I don't blame them because they might never have another season if they sit out an entire season. But you're giving away the farm here. You're giving away the store. You're giving the owners everything they want, which is the 17th regular season game and additional playoff teams. Why not draw your line in the sand that you deserve 50-50 revenue sharing? Quandre Diggs hasn't made uh, $50 million in his, in his career. He says, let's fight for 50-50. So why not? Don't players deserve it? Absolutely, they deserve it. So but when else are you going to fight have, for it? They don't have the leverage. They, they don't have the leverage. They started at 47%. What is their, let's, let's talk through this. Get Quandre on the show. What is your leverage to get the 50-50? What is your leverage? We're going to sit out games? No, you're not, bro. No, you're not. And the NFLPA can either lock you out. The NFL can either lock you out or they can institute their last best offer. And guess what? While a few of you guys are sitting out, after about three or four weeks, most of the guys are going to be like, bro, I'm sorry. I I got a very short career. This is $72,000 a week that I'm missing right now. I got to live 50 years after this. Peace. I'm going across. You guys want to strike? I'm going across the picket line. Like, I wish I wish the players got 50-50. I'm a former player. I live in the real world. I live in the real world where you're talking about guys that are multi-billionaires that have time on their side. They're going to be the owners forever. The players don't have the money. They don't have time on their side. And they don't have the will to sit out the amount of games it would take to try to get something like 50-50. I think them getting 48.5%, getting halfway from 47 to 50, 
is a damn good job considering they're not giving away shit. They're adding one game that they get 55% of the money from. Well, it would be interesting if we could get J.J. Watt, if we could get Quandre Diggs on this program. We certainly need to hear what J.J. Watt, what Richard Sherman's issue is with this new CBA from the player's perspective. Now, as from the media or fans' perspective, I still hate the idea of watering down the playoff accomplishment of putting too many eight and eight, nine and seven teams in the postseason. Nobody is clamoring for more eight and eight teams like Pittsburgh and Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges in the fucking playoffs. And ultimately that we will all regret. And nobody wants to see one seed versus one seed in the Super Bowl, which mark my words, we will see probably four out of the next five years. And that will make this game worse off i hate the ultimate impact of those two things i do love one thing i do love one thing ross and it's the window for marijuana testing has been narrowed and the days of the four game suspension for a failed marijuana test would end if this deal is approved i love that man i'm very happy that the league is backing away from marijuana as an issue what do you feel about that I don't care that much about that. Um, you know what? I know that's important to a bunch of players. Great. Good for them. I guess what I like about it, Dave, is it'll be less guys getting suspended. I don't like seeing guys getting suspended. I don't like guys missing games because they were smoking marijuana a certain amount or whatever. So I'm fine with it. But, Dave, stuff like like I go on uh, radio.com affiliates as an insider, right? Loveradio.com affiliates. We've got affiliates all over the country. And they say, but Ross, what about the franchise tag? Or Ross, what about Goodell's power? It's like, dude, that affects like five people a year. Five to 10 guys a year. I'm talking about 2,000 human beings and their families. I'm not talking about five to 10 guys that are going to be so rich anyway because they're about to get franchise tagged or five to ten morons that get in trouble because they hit a woman or something. What are we talking about? What are we What are we talking about? Five to ten idiots that do stupid shit or five to ten super rich guys that don't like that they can't get even more rich. Shut the hell up. God. Well, they did make a change to the franchise tag, which is pretty significant, and we will discuss it. And, and, and the marijuana thing, I think, is not about doing something stupid. It's just something that NFL players should be allowed to do. It ain't performance enhancing. And if there is anything to help these players through their injuries and concussions and marijuana can do it, I am thankful that the league and the players agree on moving away from that. Too late for you, Greg Robinson. You can't take advantage of this. Okay, Greg Robinson, this does not help explain why a former number two pick who's made nearly $30 million in career earnings tried to get 157 pounds of weed across the border in a freaking Uber. 
Ross, please explain how a guy who made more than six mil last year, almost 30 in his career, would do something the height of stupidity. I don't have words to describe how freaking stupid Greg Robinson is and how much weed he was trying to get across the border. How do you explain this to me, to the average guy who, who has never played in the NFL, who's never had to make these type of decisions? I love that players can smoke moving forward, but this, there is no explanation for. Well, you just said it. Uh, there is no explanation. And I don't think Greg Robinson should go to jail. Not one single day. I think Greg Robinson should be required to go to every single college campus in the United States and go to the sociology 101 class and go to the front of the room with hundreds of students looking up at the stage and the professor and sit down so the professor can look Greg Robinson in the eyes and say, okay, Greg, let's dive into this. Where did it all go wrong? Like, dude, uh, he's made over $29 million. He's 27 years old. He just made $6.4 million last year. Like, something went really wrong at some point. I don't know if it was his parents or where he's from. I don't know if he's just a bad guy. I don't know if he's incredibly dumb. I don't know if it's just crazy peer pressure from his former Auburn teammate, but I really believe he, th this is one of the most interesting case, case studies for sociology 101 I've ever heard because I gotta know what was going through his brain when he did this and then try to work back from there as to how he got to that point in his life where he would do that. Because there is not even a speck of logic to it other than his buddy from Auburn that didn't make the NFL, doesn't have money, and was able to convince him through peer pressure to go with him on this trip to front the money so that he could have some money too. That's all there is to it. It is one of the more bewildering NFL stories we've heard in years. Uh, the Browns lineman faces 20 years in prison. 157 pounds of weed is more than one of our esteemed producers weighs. That is a lot of weed and a lot of stupidity on display by one NFL player. We're going to take a hard turn after a quick break here and talk a little boxing because this weekend, the sporting event of the weekend, whether you like it or not, whether you agree or disagree, is a boxing match. Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, part two, pay-per-view, 80 bucks. Would you pay $80 for a pay-per-view heavyweight championship fight 88% of you at RDC Home and Home said nope. And we didn't even include the price in that question. We didn't even say it was 20 bucks, and you're already saying 88 to 12, you would not. I would pay, but I wouldn't pay 80 bucks. We'll talk about the future of boxing. What is it today? Is it about to be extinct? We'll talk about it with the author of Ali, A Life 
after a quick break. Would you, Ross, pay for a fight this weekend? Uh, I'm sure there's some dollar amount where I might, um, but not $80. And my yeah. bigger issue, Dave, is staying up for to watch those fights, which is why if I'm going yeah. to, I need to take some five-hour energy because I, I don't have the energy to stay up late to watch a boxing match, especially after I'll be skiing all day. So I'm probably going to take five-hour energy because it helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life. Helps me get through my crazy on-the-go life. Zero sugar, four calories. That's nothing. And a convenient portable size. It's the perfect pick-me-up for busy, hardworking people like me and Dave Briggs. Now it comes in two great extra-strength tropical tastes. Strawberry banana and tropical burst. They are delicious and can take you to a tropical on-the-go experience. Five-hour energy shot can help you stay alert and energized wherever you may be headed. What is the state of boxing today? A fight over the weekend is, without a doubt, the sporting event of the weekend. But will you watch? Will you even consider paying 80 bucks on pay-per-view to see Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, part two. That was the poll question at RDC, home and home. We'll also continue our all 32 discussion, all 32 NFL teams and their offseason questions. Today, it's the Dallas Cowboys. Corey Majors joins us from 105.3 The Fan down there in Dallas. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut, and Ross Tucker's home in Pennsylvania. And Tucker, I've got great news for you. I've got some fantastic news on a Friday. My marriage is saved. My wife oh! came. My wife did, came through with the Bloody Mary, man. Did mm. you text her, or did she just know? Nope, I texted her. I said, "Marriage test. What did I forget this morning?" Boom. Now she just brought up the ingredients. She didn't know how to put it together, but she did salt the rim, dude. She salted the rim. She's a keeper. She loves you. See, Dave, forget the middle seat thing. She loves you. She salted the rim. I told you she's a keeper. Other than her criticizing me for the Bloody Mary gift I gave you. Well, that was that was spot on. I mean, any Bloody Mary basket has to include vodka. It's not on the company. It's on the man. Not a gift giver. You've admitted to that. Any Bloody Mary basket has a bottle of vodka with it, Tucker. But next time you'll know. All right. Sports weekend of the year. The sporting event of the weekend, without a doubt, is the heavyweight title fight between Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, part two. But is it worth 80 bucks? And is the sport of boxing about to be extinct or can it hang on with its current niche in the sports universe? Let's talk about it with one of the authors of one of the best sports books of all time. The book is Ali a life. He is journalist. He is an author. He is Jonathan Eig, and he joins us here on a Friday. Good to see you, sir. So uh, tell us about this fight this weekend. Look, I'm not a big boxing guy. Why should I give a damn about this fight? Why should I consider paying 80 bucks on pay-per-view? And would you pay 80 bucks? <laughs> I'm not planning to. Uh, if I get a call <laughs> and somebody invites me over, I might... Uh... I might go watch, but I'm not planning to pay for it, and uh, I'll chip in if some other guys are doing it. But I, I have to say, it's kind of like the last gasp. It's the last uh, 
heavyweight boxing match that that's going to matter for a while. It hasn't there hasn't been one that mattered for a while, and I just feel like you know this this should be a good fight. So um, if you care at all about boxing, and there aren't that many of us left who do, um, if you care at all about boxing, this is a good one to watch. You know, Jonathan, I'm glad you said that because this I, I can't remember the last heavyweight bout that I was even aware of that I, that I even like considered or even talked about. So on that level, I guess it's a real positive that we're having you on. We're talking about it. There's a fight that people are talking about, but I want to go back because you wrote the Ali biography. And when I talked to my dad and my father-in-law, you know, back when Ali and, and those guys were around, that was the biggest sport. It was the biggest deal. Everybody watched every fight back then. They would go to different, because Ali used to train near where I'm from, in Deer Lake sometimes. People would go, you'd have to drive to gyms or movie theaters or, or arenas to watch it closed circuit and people would do it. Everybody would do it. So I'm hoping you can take us through the evolution of like, what happened? Like what, how do we get from there to here? You know, it's important to remember that um, when Ali came along, people were saying um, heavyweight boxing is dead. And Ali said, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to revive it. And he did because um, those fights in the seventies, Ali Frazier, Ali Foreman, um, they were bigger than a hundred Super Bowls. These these were the sporting events. They were everybody t talked about them. And even if you couldn't watch them, you were if you were a kid and you couldn't go out to the uh, closed circuit and see it in a the theater, um, you'd listen on the radio. Everybody waited for those fights. But even before Ali came along, people were saying boxing was dead. After World War II, the sport lost a lot of popularity. You know, people started saying um, they got better things to do. There are better ways to make a living. You know, boxing worked when in the Depression when people were looking for a way out of poverty. But once you got into the into the 50s and 60s, there were better ways for even for young kids who were great athletes to to work their way out of the ghetto. So boxing just started dying off. All the boxing clubs. I mean, nobody boxes for recreation anymore, but they used to. So once you cut it off as a recreation, once you lose those boxing clubs that were in the neighborhoods. The sport begins to dry dry out. The talent pool dies out. So Ali brought that back for a little while because he made boxing so exciting in the seven, 60s and 70s. And then you had a little like last gasp with Mike Tyson because he was such a compelling figure. I mean that he just he was a, a the small guy who knocked people out so brutally, so viciously that that sparked some interest again. But since Tyson, I would say that you know most Americans can't name a single heavyweight boxer. With the exception of this fight, yeah, if you go back a couple of weeks, I'll be honest, I probably could not name a single heavyweight fighter. Talking with Jonathan Ig, the author of Ali, A Life, it was a significant boost, though, not a minor one, in the 90s when Mike Tyson came back. And this thing was a, a news event. I would absolutely pay the hundred bucks, I believe it was back then, or something around there. I mean, it was when he lost to Buster Douglas, this was worldwide news. The sport was back with a bang. At what point did it just drop off a cliff? 
you know, I think after Tyson, it, it fell off. And, you know, you had a couple of really strong fighters and some great championships after that, but they didn't have the kind of personality that Ali had, or Tyson even. I mean, Tyson wasn't much of a personality when he was young, but he was a really compelling figure, a really interesting character that you wanted to see. I, you know, I paid for some of those fights, even though they lasted, you know, 12 seconds, um, because everybody was talking about Tyson. He was a, he was just this this you know almost mythical figure in his ability to knock people out so quickly and there's always something compelling about a fight it's just something people are drawn to but when you don't have the personalities when you don't have the great rivalries when you don't have you know um, like like this weekend's fight that's a, it's a it, it's compelling they're they're two really strong punchers um, they, 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 this should be a really good fight but I couldn't really tell you I, I don't think most Americans could 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 name them or tell you anything about their characters or about the personal side of their rivalry. They're just, it doesn't have the same drama that the old fights used to have. Yeah, I'm kind of with Dave. Like, even when we were younger, Tyson was such a big deal. And then I feel like Holyfield wasn't as big of a deal, but we still knew him. Like, I'm trying to figure out when it was that it just kind of disappeared. Because even when Holyfield was the heavyweight champ, it wasn't as big a deal as Tyson. But we still knew it was Holyfield, and we still wanted to see the Holyfield foreman or Holyfield whoever. There was Lennox Lewis, Riddick. It, it, it just like, I feel like maybe after Lennox Lewis, it just dropped off the face of the earth, it feels like. Yeah, part of the problem is that it's it's hard to know who's the champion. There's so many different titles. There's no one governing body. So there's no one organization promoting the fights. Um, MMA is a brand. They know how to market themselves. Um, boxing is all these different brands and they don't really, they've never done a good job of marketing. There's no central boxing organization that is figuring out how to promote these fights, how to make compelling stories out of them. We like stories. We like to root for heroes. We like to root for the bad guy. Um, and boxing just hasn't had any of that since Tyson, really. Talking with Jonathan Ogg, the author of Ali, A Life. And that's why I'm so surprised. A little uh, backstory about this upcoming fight. They had a, a pushing incident on camera earlier in the week. And the Nevada Athletic Commission decided there would be no face-off today during the weigh-in, which seems totally counterproductive to me. These two get it. Wilder and Fury get it. They understand the personality. I thought the pushing, in fact, looked awfully staged. Isn't this the type of thing that boxing ought to embrace and promote rather than run from it? That's right. I mean, controversy is good, and fighting is yeah. what it's all about. You want to know that there's some bad blood between these guys. You want to know that they want to kill each other. That's why we, that's why we pay to watch. And for the boxing officials to to downplay that or to try to eliminate it is 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 foolish. I mean, say what you want about Don King. He was he was a you know, wild guy. He was kind of uh, uh, crazy and he was, you know, making more money than his fighters sometimes, but the man knew how to promote a fight. He knew how to make you want to watch and and the world would respond. And there's nobody really, you know, pulling the strings right now for boxing to to, to keep it in front of the public. What, you know, what do they do for social media? What do they do on 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 you know, to, to, to find young fans. They're just not doing it. All right. So then I got a couple other questions related to that. How much have they been hurt, first of all, by MMA, in your opinion? 
I think they've been hurt a lot. I mean, the young people I know, my my kids and my friends' kids, um, they're into MMA because it's a great spectacle. It's exciting to go to one of those fights and to watch them on TV. Um, and they know how to market. They, they've built a great brand. So I think that's hurt boxing tremendously. These kids aren't interested in, in, in this weekend's fight. And then the, the follow-up to that is, and maybe since what you just said about MMA, maybe the answer to this next question is no. But with all the CTE stuff and the repetitive hits to the head in boxing, what we know about that from football, Ali and, you know, Parkinson's and all of that stuff, you think that's had an impact or no? Yeah, I think that's had a huge impact because, first of all, people aren't going into boxing for that very reason. You know, who's going to let their kid box these days knowing that they are almost certain to have, you know, serious, serious medical issues from that um so you again you don't have the, the talent pool no you know, if you're a great athlete coming up in, in america today you've got way better choices than boxing so you are you know the, the future of the sport is really grim because you're just not going to see the talent coming up and as a result of that because nobody boxes for fun um you're not that interested in watching it either and of course you know there's a lot of people who feel like it's brutal i don't want to watch somebody trying to concuss somebody else it's just you know, it's, 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 it's sad. It is sad. Talking to Randy Eig, the author of Ali, A Life, and doing all that research, what surprised you the most about Ali? What would surprise our listeners? You feel like you know him so well. We've seen the story play out on the big screen. And of course, those who are alive for his career, but what, what would be the most surprising thing uh, to listeners, to viewers, or even it was to you? Well, you know, he started showing signs of um, of brain damage as early as the as, as the first Fraser fight, 1971, according to his doctor, and that was a lot earlier than I expected. So he fought for another 10 years, already showing signs of CTE. And by the mid 70s, he started recognizing it himself. He started asking his family and his friends, "Do you think I'm showing uh, my my speech is slowing down? Do I sound like I've got brain damage to you?" And you could hear it. You could tell. Um, and, you know, I actually worked with CompuBox to count all the punches that Ali took. And we calculated that he took something like 200,000 punches over the course of his career. Um, that's just, you know, that's it's inescapable that you're going to have some damage from that. You know, speaking of sports that that might be dying, Jonathan, I know that you're into baseball as well. Boy, you can really pick them, man. Baseball and boxing. <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 I guess I guess that is the first question, which is what is your level of concern that baseball could slip into uh, similar to what's happened to boxing? Because it feels like baseball is losing traction, especially with young people every year. Yeah, I think it's right. Um, you know, it just goes to show you how old I am, I guess. You know, my other, uh, what, what do I, I'm going to keep rooting for bowling to make a comeback too, I guess. Um, but um, it's grim. And, and I feel like this, this cheating scandal certainly doesn't help. But baseball had problems to begin with. You don't see young fans at the ballpark. Um, they, they've got the nets up now, so the young fans can't even try to get autographs from their from their favorite players before the game. The players have become more remote. The games have become too expensive. I want to take my three kids to a ball game. Uh, I'm going to end up spending 200 bucks um, before I even you know park the car. So um, it's it's you know the baseball is doing a bad job of uh, of appealing to younger 
fans. The game is too slow. It's boring. My kids want to bring their you know phones and and just uh, you know mess around on on Snapchat. They're not even watching the game. Why should I spend that money to go to a ball game and and when they're when they're just going to be bored? So baseball's got some serious problems, and that's why it's not the most popular sport anymore. That's why um you know. Uh, football and basketball are, and, and soccer even, are, are making gains while while baseball is slipping in popularity. Yeah, you want a challenge? Bring your kids to a baseball game and tell them they can't be on their cell phones. That, <laughs> I've tried it, and I failed. I don't think I made it to the third inning. Um, yeah, where you can you the take luckiest them? Man. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I can't take them to the store, to the grocery store, and they'll stay off of them. But uh, you wrote The Luckiest Man, and back to that Astros cheating scandal. Um how does that compare historically? I've been stunned at how the players a hundred percent down the line with the exception of former player, David Ortiz, who we'll talk about later. Uh, the players have lined up against the Astros and they are hammering them. Even Yankees who have Garrett Cole on their team. How does this scandal compare historically? I think it's the greatest scandal in baseball history. It certainly makes Pete Rose looked like nothing. And even the Black Sox, um, that was one week of, of cheating, a few games. This is years of cheating. And for the Astros to, to botch that press conference and to say, oh, we don't think it had any effect on the outcome of games. I mean, what a joke. Then why were they doing it? I think this is a serious scar on on the, on baseball. I think it, it's something they'll be talking about for, for the rest of uh, of. As long as anyone's interested in baseball, they're going to be talking about this scandal. And I think that the so far the league has done a very poor job of of handling it, and the players have done a poor job of handling it. They they need to you know extract a pound of flesh from this from this team and from these players. They need to really come down hard on them if they want to restore the integrity of the game. Jonathan, I coming out swinging there. The greatest scandal in baseball history is the author of Ali a life. Final question for you. And you're not prepared for this one. It has nothing to do with sports, as we often tend to stray here on Home and Home. So, Jonathan, I want you to put yourself in this scenario. You're on an airplane flight with your wife. You book the middle seat and the aisle seat, as my wife and I tend to do, hoping that no one fills said middle seat. Well, yesterday, someone did feel, fill that middle seat, and I thought my wife would move to the middle. She did not even consider it. <laughs> You know, because she wants her aisle and I want my window. How would you play that situation? And is there a concern? Is the honeymoon over? Now, the wife is always right. She gets whatever seat she wants in my book. <laughs> okay. Smart man. Short. Smart man. I like that. I like that. I like that. That's a good way of looking at it. That's not, you're not wrong. Thank no, you. No, that's a smart man. That's a historian. That's I've been married a long time. Of- uh, wrote Luckiest Man and one of the great 10 sports books of all time, Ali A Life. We recommend you check out all of his work. Jonathan and I, great pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you. All right. Good talking to you. Take a quick break here. We will dive in to that baseball scandal that Jonathan just called the greatest scandal in the history of Major League Baseball. That's a journalist and historian saying that. We'll also answer this question. Ask Reddit is the spot for questions. We provide answers. What do you do that's like an old person? We'll dive into that after a quick break here on a Friday, Home and Home.
Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. exclusively on the Radio.com app or at Radio.com slash home. Home and Home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.